Hello, hello. Welcome to It Started With A Daydream. Today, I am going to be chatting to the lovely Cyrilin from Cyrilin Silver. Cyrilin worked for many years as a teacher before embracing her creativity in a different way and training to be a silversmith. Now, alongside making beautiful original pieces of jewellery, she uses her teaching skills to run workshops for beginners, offering them the chance to have a go at making their own piece of jewellery to take home. I met Cyrilin at a pretty vulnerable time in my life after I'd just lost my mum to Alzheimer's and I was recovering from a major operation at the same time. I'd been umming and ahhing whether to cancel, but something stopped me and I am so glad that I didn't. Cyrilin was the right balance of warmth and understanding and distraction. It was a, a truly soul-nourishing workshop. It was a bit of a trigger coming back to Cyrilin's little studio and I've certainly had to take a deep breath, but I'm very glad I'm here. She's just told me about a charity that she started called Operation Orphan, which she had a dream of starting when she was a little girl. It sounds incredible and I cannot wait to learn more. Hi, Cyrilyn. Hello, you got me in tears already. Aww. That's not a good start, is it? <laughs> well, maybe it is. It was so <laughs> lovely, though. It was such a, a, a great bunch of people that day, wasn't yeah, it? it was lovely. It was exactly what I needed. Oh, good. So tell us about what you do. Yes, so as you've quite eloquently already said, I um, teach people how to make jewellery. I basically teach complete beginners, so they come just for an experience really, to try something different, maybe on their own, maybe with a friend, um, and they come to a workshop and they learn how to make something and walk away with a piece of jewellery that they've made that they can feel really proud of. Um, I do this for kind of group workshops, I do one-to-one, I also do wedding ring workshops for couples. Um, so basically a whole range of different types of workshops, but all with the same intention, you know, yeah. to like teach something completely new to some people that want to learn, which is fabulous. And having worked in the classroom for a long time, I always think it's funny that I, I'm now teaching, but I'm teaching something that number one, I'm passionate about, but I'm teaching it to people who want to be here, yes. <laughs> that really yeah. want to learn. <laughs> it makes a difference. <laughs> it makes a huge difference. I love the wedding rings thing. Yeah, How does that, what's the process of that? So it's a day workshop. So um, it's kind of like a bespoke thing. So it's just for the two of them. Yeah. Um, we'll do lots of high input in the morning, teaching lots of skills yeah. um, and trying out things, you know, like making a copper ring and just yeah. getting, getting used to the whole process and then yeah. talking to them about what they'd like their rings to be like and then in the afternoon after lunch um, they just come back and make their actual rings and depending on whether people need support or whether they can do it really on their own I I like to sort of strike that balance of allowing people to feel like they've done it on their own but stepping in if I need to if I can see that actually somebody's struggling so it's a lovely thing because it's actually just a, a beautiful memory maker you know it's like such a lovely day for them and everyone always says it's the best day and I'm like oh that's really cool that they would still say that after years you know oh I still remember our day and it's lush really it's so nice that you can be involved in that 
so part nice. of their And by the time they give each other their rings on their wedding day, they already mean something. They're yeah. already symbolic and they've already got like memories attached to them. So, so it is just lovely. Do they come in with like a, a specific idea in the head or Not does it always. kind of evolve as the... Most of the time people come because they like the sentimentality of it. It's yeah. romantic, you know, or you know, my husband made my ring for me. It always feels like quite romantic to be yeah. able to say that. Yeah, it's that's nice, so isn't lovely. it? Um, so they like the idea of it. Some people make their own, some people make them for each other. Oh. Um, but oftentimes they just want to make the rings and so they don't have, you know, really high expectations. Yeah. They don't think that their rings are going to be as yeah. gorgeous as they always are. Oh. So then it's just lovely because yeah. they're like, oh, wow, I did oh. that. And it feels good, you know, doesn't it? it? Making so, something yourself. Oh, gosh, it's so satisfying. Yeah. yeah, I think so. It's really therapeutic and just a lovely, like, rewarding thing. Um, so to be able to attach that to, like, memories with each other and it's yeah. lovely. I just love it. I love yeah. I love what I do What so do you much. love most? What aspect of what you do do you love the most? Because um, you're really sociable, aren't you? I so. love meeting people. Yeah, I absolutely love meeting different people and from all walks of life and yeah. getting to know people, just getting yeah. an opportunity to... I love that I get an opportunity to make somebody's day better and actually facilitate them to have this unique experience that is yeah. actually going to make them feel good yes i love that i yeah. love that i get to give them that gift i feel like oh you're gonna feel so much better after this time together yeah. you know it's just really lovely to to know that and to have that kind of yeah it almost felt sure to me is. that day like and this probably sounds but almost like therapy <laughs> It does. And you know what? Sometimes it is a little bit like therapy because, especially if there's only two people in the room or one person in the room and we're working together, we are chatting about life and chatting about what they're going through. And often people do come with their worries and their anxieties. And, you know, even that just gets people to open up. And I just think I I aim to make people feel safe and heard. And I think it's not like a therapy session, really, but it does feel like it because I think. Yeah. yeah, just the process and working alongside someone. It's not sort of like therapy in the sense that you're just sitting there answering a bunch of questions, but you generally just are opening up because you are doing something and you don't feel threatened. No. You know, I think that's there is something you're, in that. You're kind of chatting while you're creating, so you're not necessarily making eye contact yeah, all the time. Yeah. I've kept in touch with one of the girls from that course. That is so <laughs> lovely. Good. That's yeah. lovely to hear. You, really I think lovely. you are so, you're so warm though and you're so kind of um open and you give just the right amount of help you're not on top of people but you you're kind of you know we know that you're there and it's, oh that's yeah good. you're a really good balance actually that's lush that's lovely to hear <laughs> it's kind of made my day really oh <laughs> thanks for coming <laughs> <laughs> so explain how you got to where Mm. you are you used to be a teacher yes yeah qualified as a teacher many moons ago worked in a fantastic new school um loved teaching loved being in the classroom primary or secondary primary primary. so year five is my all-time favorite year to teach before the sats year yes you know this old old enough to be able to work it quite independently so you can really feel like you can really help them and yeah. you know move them on and I love it I love it love it um but obviously the um education system presents its obvious challenges yeah um and I think that yeah it 
school is not for everyone, is it? No. Nope. And my son, who you have just met, yeah, uh, we just past withdrew the dog, him from school actually right. a year ago, um, and he's home learning now, right. which works brilliantly for him. Yeah. But I think I probably just needed the guts to be able to go with yeah. my gut yeah. and take that step for him because it was the right thing for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And I think there are obviously always children in the class who you know are really struggling and it's yeah. not fitting, it's not gelling. Nope. And they just keep, you know, they're just there, are yeah. they, for years. And often something doesn't get done about it. And yeah. the, the system can fail people as well. And yeah. I think that's quite sad, really. But yeah, that's probably off topic. But yeah, the education system itself is not like my favourite. Um, but that's, I love teaching. That's why I started fishing a tree. Right. Because it was um, it was that kind of feeling of being, you know, disillusioned by the system mm. and children having to fit into a square Mold. peg. Exactly. You know, and it was just. A I didn't nice... know whether it's okay to say that really because it's not really. It's a bit controversial. It's not really yeah. something that everybody would want to hear. I think, but do you know what? More I think and more people so feel many that, people do they? feel like that, mm. but don't know what to do about it. No. And I think that, you know, schools feel like that yeah. as well and are trying to be creative within yeah. the curriculum and within the system that they're forced into. They're sort of so tied though, aren't they? And the more the more years I, I you know, worked in the classroom, the more things we were asked to do. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have to provide these reports and this and that and you yeah. have to fill out this spreadsheet and this and that. And it just it became more and more an admin job. Yes. And less about actually teaching. Of course, teachers go into teaching because they love to teach yeah and that's what their strength is yeah. not necessarily admin no <laughs> and i found that the role became more and more kind of the teaching was squashed out of me and yeah. the love of teaching was squashed out of me because of all the other red tape and all yeah. the things that you have to do and i don't think that's fair and i don't think that's fair on the children and they're not getting the best of you mm. then are they and yeah do you anyway. think it'll come round i hope so i really hope so yeah I do think it depends what school um, yes, it is as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, my first school that I worked at was a, like I said, it was a new school. It was a very, very good school, but the head teacher was not afraid to take risks yeah. and to do things differently. Brilliant. And that was definitely a fantastic foundation. Yeah. But then going to other schools that didn't have that same philosophy, yeah. I definitely noticed yes. the difference. I definitely wouldn't go by an Ofsted report no. when choosing a school for, yeah. I definitely want to go and actually go in and have a look. True. So what was the process of going from teacher to doing what you're doing yeah, now? So I've got four children um so I stopped teaching when I had the little ones because I wanted to spend time with them at home mm -hmm. I didn't want to just you know kind of miss out on those really like special fundamental years yeah. really that you can't get back yeah. also I don't have my family around because they all live in Wales Brad's family all live in Africa and so it was kind of like it was us to yeah. look after the children so just made that decision to go without yeah but to have time yeah and um it was hard yeah at times there was definitely times where you know I felt like I wanted things that I couldn't afford and um that I had to just remind myself I've chosen this yeah. you know I've chosen this path yeah because I wanted time and people always say you can either have time or money yeah and sometimes you can have both but it's not very often is it no um but I am glad we did what we did and it was a lovely foundation for our family and then when um when uh Ellis was little I went back into teaching and um I didn't love it as much I felt I probably felt like 
came home to my own family with zero energy because yeah. I'd given it all away. Yes. And I definitely found like I wasn't my sparky self. No. You know, because I'm quite a sparky person. You are. But I felt that definitely was lost. And I thought, wow, I'm losing myself. But not just that, I felt like I wasn't giving the children in the classroom the best. And I wasn't giving my own children the best. And I just felt like within the whole thing, somewhere, somehow... Um, I was very stressed and anxious and like it wasn't working yeah. for me so um, I kind of had started doing some jewellery making mm-hmm. just as a hobby because you know you come to that stage in life where you've had your children and then they've gone to school and you've got a little tiny glimmer of like time for yourself yeah. like oh um I decided to go and do something for myself, which was like silversmithing. And I loved it so much, but I wasn't ever thinking about it as a job. I just loved it as a hobby. And of course I did one course and then signed myself up to the next one because I loved it so much. And then I signed myself up to the next one. And I just shared my kind of progress on socials and my friend said oh you should really do this as a job because you're so good at it. But I thought, no, I can't possibly just sit in a room making jewelry all day. like. I need people in my life, you know? Um, But when the idea dropped into my heart about teaching people, that Mm. was when it all clicked for me. And I just remember it. I remember it. We sat in a hot tub and I just said to Brad, you know, what would be the best thing is if I could teach jewellery making. All the best decisions are made in a hot tub. (laughs) He said, why don't you? And I was like, well, because I'm not very experienced myself, you know. I thought I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, in the classroom, you're only ever like a few steps ahead, aren't you? Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, you know something, but you only know enough about it to be able to teach it. Well, and And sometimes you have to learn it just before you teach it. (laughs) Exactly. And I thought, you know what, I can do this. So I basically just took a massive, massive risk and did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a risk. And it was a risk in every way. Financially, just everything about it was a massive risk. But yeah. I was like, well, you don't get anywhere without trying. I spoke yeah. to my parents about it. My mum's quite an entrepreneur. She was like, definitely do it. My dad said, don't be giving up your job, your safety. You're like, you know. That's <laughs> I'm such like, a dad thing oh, to say. Yeah. I didn't need to hear that because <laughs> I'm already feeling that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm so glad. I do not regret it one single bit I love what I do yeah and it was lovely that you had the support of your husband as Mm. well and he because it'd be hard to do it without that wouldn't it yeah well at first he definitely felt I needed to do that and teach because it would have been too big a jump to yeah. make that leap I tried doing that for a little while and it was not going well yeah I was definitely feeling more and more unwell um until I got to the stage where I was like I can't do this yeah I need to just fully commit to yeah. this you know yeah. and just go for it so yeah I did and then there was no looking back so have there been any um you know moments where you've had regrets and thought no no not a single time amazing I love it I love the variety that I have so I get to make jewellery for people so I get to teach people meet people I get to go to markets and sell things if I want to so it's really good for me because I'm definitely like an ADHD type person um so I feel like um you're a creative I am but it gives me that kind of like there's enough variety that I don't get bored. Yeah. Because if I do the same thing over and over again, I am just going to be so bored with that. Yeah. And I will not want to do it. Yeah. Um, so there's enough variety that I can just kind of mix it up a bit. And of course, I do this and my other job, which is what you mentioned earlier on in working for the 
um, Operation Orphan yes, charity. which I um, didn't even know you did. Yeah. So Sarah um, has had this dream since she was um, a little girl yeah. about running a charity. Yeah. And I wasn't even aware of that. So could you tell us about <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, I wear different amazing. hats, you know, because I meet people in the jewellery business and it, it's all about the jewellery, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but actually, one massive part of my life is that when I was little, I had a dream to look after orphans. I think oh. I came into contact with an orphan choir. They came to my village in Wales and sang and did some fundraising. Yeah. And I remember being blown away by the fact that these boys and girls didn't have parents. I couldn't get my head around it. And of course, they were from Uganda. So in my head, I was like, I want to look after orphans. Yeah. I want to look after boys and girls who haven't got anyone to look after them. I want to do that. My heart was so full of compassion for these kids and I just thought, I definitely want to do that when I'm older. And there were so many obstacles along the way. I mean, like going to secondary school, one of the first things that happened was my English teacher asked us all, what do we want to be when we grow up? And I said, oh, I want to look after orphans. And she laughed at me in front of the entire class and said, oh, you fancy yourself as Miss Hannigan, joked about it, ridiculed me, and then moved on to the next person. And I was absolutely gutted. Um... And for a lot of years, I could still cry about that because it was such a like, you know, you know, when you're a child, it was so sort of a significant time, such a significant time for me. And I just thought, oh, they think it's a ridiculous idea. You know that way? Yes, you needed her to validate your idea. But it didn't stop me because that motivation was so deep in my heart that Mm. I just knew that this was my purpose in life. Yeah. Mm. You run out of time. No, it's not that. I've got <laughs> I run out of time. I've got so much more to say. No, <laughs> carry on. Um, yeah. So basically, um, I I knew that this was something I wanted to do in the future, and I assumed that it meant moving to Africa, maybe like starting an orphanage. You know, yeah. as you do in your yeah. little narrow-minded way of thinking. Because yeah. at that time, I didn't understand what I know now. Um, And when I met Brad, my husband, um, we were friends. There was no romantic kind of engagement. It was just friendship. Um, But one of the things that stood out about him to me was that he said that he felt like a real sense of calling to help children that hadn't had a father influence in their life. And that came from his own background because his parents split up when he was young. So did he say that before he knew what your... And he's from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like so amazing because yeah. for the first time in my life I felt like wow I can say my dream to somebody who's not going to laugh at me oh. you know do you know what I mean yeah, just kind of like wow this guy will get it yeah and I remember talking about it with him and just you know all my friends were like oh you were always obviously meant to be together but of course I didn't always see that yeah. start um but yeah so our dreams and our goals were all aligned oh. Which, um, which meant that when the time came for us to actually launch into looking after orphans, yeah. you know, we did it as a team. So yeah. it's good. So how does it all work? What's the, mm. what's, how's it set up? Yeah, so basically it's set up, it's based here in, in Nottingham. Yeah. And um, we've got a board of trustees that are from all over the place. We have got um, also an office in the States. So okay. Our office here in Nottingham is like our main head office. Yeah. And this is kind of like the, the core hub 
really right. for the charity but all of the projects are all over the world so we've got projects in 16 different countries wow. so we're looking after children keeping them safe warm healthy and learning oh, so incredible. all of the projects are sort of different so we've got sc- like a school for example in Uganda yeah. homework center in Zimbabwe we've got a project looking after AIDS orphans in Zimbabwe there's lots of different things all over the place they are not all residential yeah. most often well it's better if you can keep children in families yeah it is better if they're not institutionalized so actually the only places that we have a sort of I like what people would probably call an orphanage it's just a home really yeah. with lots of people living in is DR Congo with the like war orphans and then um Ebola orphans in uh, Sierra Leone. Wow. So that's because basically all of their family was eradicated at that time and, you know, so they they, they had nowhere to go. So yeah. there wasn't an extended family member we could ask Aline to help this child uh, if we support you. Yeah. Because that's what we do. We kind of like support people so that the child gets looked after. They're at the centre of the whole thing. What, what do we need to do to create a better, safer care structure for this child? So then uh, the other thing we do is rescue children. So we rescue children that are very much um, at risk of being trafficked. Right. Um, That's sort of like an emphasis of ours. We have a team of specialists that go into crisis situations, like, for example, Turkey earthquakes. This year, we've been to Turkey twice because of the earthquakes. And we've got about 80-odd children that we've rescued. Um, They've lost their family because of you know, the earthquakes. And right now there are earthquakes in Morocco and uh, our offer of assistance is in with the Moroccan government. So our team is just on standby waiting to go. Gosh, so have you sort of found all these people to work for the charity? Have you gone about putting people in place? They volunteer. That's incredible. Yeah, most of our workforce is voluntary. Yeah. Uh, We have a core group of people, a very small group of people that work at the office doing administration. Right. Um, And then all of the other work is basically voluntary. Yeah. In the countries themselves, there are some paid workers, you know, in like heading up different projects. Yeah. um, That basically the project wouldn't be able to exist without them. But saying that, we only work with people who have already given up everything to help these children. So you can see for a fact that they care about the kids and it's not at all about a job, Yes, if that makes sense. They're not doing it because they're in it for the money. No, I mean, it it wouldn't be a good place to be if you were in it for the money because they don't get paid a huge amount. (laughs) But it is... um, it, you know their motivation you can tell so we only work with like trusted relationships yeah. really I love the way that you've got this whole care structure in place mm. it's amazing it is amazing it's such a privilege and honestly my nine-year-old self could never have imagined oh. that we were going to be able to make a difference for this many children like yeah. I was thinking a little orphanage in Uganda I wasn't thinking impacting all these nations. That wasn't in my thinking. So, yeah. yeah. How do you have time? How do you fit it all in? I don't do it all. So, I am very much a visionary. Yeah. So, I'm great at getting things started and up and going. But you need a team of people to make anything happen. And we have got the most amazing team of people, um, both paid workers and volunteers. Yeah. You know, we have got an amazing, amazing. How did you raise awareness of it? How did you get these volunteers? Yeah. that's a good out. that's a really good question because it wasn't always easy right you know? yeah so actually um we our you work within your networks don't you yeah so for example i had some networks 
um, and Brad had some networks and we just let people know that this is what we're doing and for a long time it was really tough going all I wanted having worked in schools for years and yeah. seeing how easy it is to do a bit of fundraising you know if you just do like one uh, non-uniform day people yeah. give you money and I was like they're giving all this money to these big massive charities that I shall not name where money does not reach the children or if it does reach the children, it's a very small percentage of the money that reaches yes. the children. Yeah. And I was like, but if they give it to us, 100% of it's going to yeah. reach the children. Because we did it as a volunteer at, yeah. at the start, you know. And it's still that case today. So we've got a company who underwrites us so that the core cost of the charity, of the administration, is taken care of. So that 100% of your donations will reach the children. That's if that amazing. makes sense. Which yeah. is amazing to be it able is. to say that. It really is. But yeah, I knew how easy it was to do a bit of fundraising, but to try and get people to trust us yeah. and to know that we weren't just like... Well, that must you know, have been really difficult. How yeah, did it was. you get we just people kept going. to trust you? I think that we had key people who did believe in what we were doing because yeah. they saw us and yes. they, you know, they, they knew, they watched firsthand. And I think then they talked to people, don't they? Yeah. And we allowed the charity to grow at this very organic rate where... People who knew us, who knew that we were trustworthy, would give us money. We would then tell the story of how we use this money, and yeah. that would be a win. Yeah. And then other people would go, oh, do you know about this? You know, And that's how it was. It grew yeah. by word of mouth, honestly. Yeah. Because I guess back then there was no sort of Instagram, no. social media and stuff, Absolutely. so it had to be literally word of mouth. Yeah. It was word of mouth. And then being in Nottinghamshire has been a fantastic thing. So I really do think it's a special place. And such a lot of special things has come from this area. You know, yeah. when you think about like the Salvation Army, for example, yeah. that was started here, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, like rally bikes, they, you know, they were all started here. And there's been so many like really, really amazing things that yeah. have come from this area. Yeah. Robin Hood. Robin Hood, <laughs> not forgetting <laughs> the dude. Um, but yeah, so I just love that um, we're based here and I think being in a city means that you've got more chance of meeting different people that maybe work for a company who, oh, they could support you for the year, you yeah. know, and you could become their charity of the year. And it then it's like a critical mass situation. So when you've got a number of people that do buy into what you're doing mm. and do trust you and they do talk about it, then it... it opens up room for other people because they can see oh they're working with this person and this person and yeah. this company and this oh right okay they must be legit um but it definitely took time and we've always had really open door policy we've like treated people with friendliness and respect and so we're like you can come into our office anytime and look yeah. through our accounts because yeah. we have nothing to hide you can come and see exactly where the money's going and what's going on like Amazing, we'd welcome yeah. that you know I love the fact that this is a dream that you had when you were nine. I know. And you've stuck with it. Cool. And now look where it is. It yeah. is incredible. Yeah. If somebody was um, wondering about taking the plunge mm. and following a dream, do you have any advice for them? Um, yeah. I would say if you can start doing it. Yeah. You know, like a, in a small amount. So, like, for example, if you've got a job that's bringing in a wage and you can, like, maybe reduce your hours to do that for four days yeah. and just spend one day doing that thing that you're dreaming about and build it up yeah. so that you don't end up, like, plunging into nothing there. Yeah. I would say that would be a sensible thing to do. Yes. And we did the same with the charity. I did the same to a degree with the, the business, you know, kind of working and allowing time for these things to kind of grow yes. to the point that you then need to take that next step. Not taking a big massive leap into 
nothing no you're taking the next step onto the stepping stone yes because trail. for a lot of people it would be a financial yes. hurdle wouldn't it yeah. so that's good advice thanks <laughs> <laughs> welcome um yeah i was just thinking you know it might not be possible for people to sort of reduce their hours but that would be yeah. ideal wouldn't it if yeah. you can like reduce your hours and then kind of allow a bit of space and time and I guess it depends how passionate you are about something doesn't it like it does. whether you can dedicate a couple of evenings or yeah. you know a day of your weekend yeah. or just if you can have faith that it is going to happen yeah and if you really believe in the dream then I guess you make that time you don't do you? because it's important to you and you yeah. always make time for what's important to you it's true and I think that um I wouldn't hesitate at all I think that if you've got a passion that's indicative really that this thing is what you need to be doing yes I feel like those passions are there for a purpose yeah I do too oftentimes we squash them because we think in a very linear way and kind of following our education system you know you have to do this then this then this and Mm. you have to learn this knowledge why well no, you just have to know it. Pressures, aren't there? So much in pressure. life in general. When really the thing that you're meant to be doing is always within you. Yeah. And it is usually the thing that you feel most excited about and yeah. passionate about. But often we don't allow ourselves to do that. So yes. I think it's just about allowing yourself to do the thing that gives you life. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a lot of at school when children kind of reach, you know, end of GCSE stage. Mm to have some kind of idea about what they want to do with their life yeah. forever. Yeah. You know, when they're 15, 16, yeah, how can you know. possibly know? I know. I always say to mine, I've got three children, mm. I always say to mine, just do what you enjoy because everything yeah. else will follow. I agree with that 100%. And yeah. I, I've said the same to my guys. And I just think like that's the best advice is to do the thing that you're passionate about. Yeah. Because then it feels good, right? Because you're doing something that you enjoy and then your line of work will line up with that. It'll kind of naturally happen. Yeah. You'll meet the people that are interested in the same sorts of things yes. and you'll kind of hear about opportunities that are in line with that yeah. passion. You know, it's just... I get the feeling that you've had um, quite a supportive upbringing and yeah. parents who've sort of, you know, always championed what you want to do. I have. I think it's really important, isn't it, to fill your children's bucket of self-esteem Definitely. so high that when people start poking holes in it, there's enough in there. So I never mentioned where we actually are. <laughs> we are in uh, sitting in Cyrilin's studio, um, where I'm looking around me and I can see a little tub of shells. <laughs> it's a bit I random. Can see um, <laughs> bits of jewellery. I can see beautiful paintings. Did you paint those paintings yes, yourself? Yes, I did. Yeah, I always like my artwork to sort of like include or incorporate a bit of silver. So I love that's that. my sort of uh, vibe. yeah. I can see yeah. all the silver and this table. So we're sitting at. It looks like a dining table, but it's got loads of character. <laughs> it's not your usual kind of jeweler's table. Has, no. Is there some history behind this? There is. Yeah, this is the one that I like weaned my children at. It was oh. my in my family home um, when the kids Lovely. were little, and uh, we kept it. I love it so much. Actually. I love that it's so battered and it's full of paint yeah, and marks and that. things. Loads of character. But Brad, my husband, when when I first uh, decked out the studio, I was gonna get some proper jeweler benches kind of fixed in, 
and he suggested that we use this table instead because he said you can move it for different configurations and mm-hmm. honestly it was such a good suggestion it wasn't yeah. what I was originally going for but it's been such a big help to be able to because it's only a small space isn't it it is a small space yeah. but it has a lot of character yes it does <laughs> when I came to the workshop the table was the other way round yeah. but I quite like it this way round so yeah, what good. is next for Cyrilyn oh um, good question gosh I don't even really know I just think I'm going to keep going doing the things that I love mm-hmm. um, so I think as far as the business is concerned I I'm just going to carry on. Um, the charity, we would very much like to grow our presence in the States at some point. Yeah. Um, we don't have the funds to be able to get there mm-hmm. um, as a family at the moment. But you know what? Things can change, can't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we'd very much like to do that. But life is full of twists and turns, isn't it? And mm. I do think that... Um, I could never have imagined that I'd be where I am now mm. if you'd have asked me sort of 10 years ago. Yeah. So I just think let's just live each day and see what happens. Yeah. You know, absolutely. just kind of, yeah, not be so closed in a box that you can't take opportunities when they present themselves. I'm definitely yeah. an out of the box thinker. Yes. Um, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think just to be sort of prepared to go for things and we've got some big changes in our family the kids are growing up and that kind of comes with all different sorts of things you know people moving away and yeah that's all new so lots of exciting i would personally love to live in wales obviously (laughs) could that be on the cards well i'd love to but you know we're based here and the charity is like kind of really based here yes and yeah to move it would be kind of probably to start a new hub or something like that but we wouldn't want to move the charity from where it is because it's developed such a strong base in Nottinghamshire yeah um so yeah I don't think that it's anytime soon but of course I'd love that yes I'd love to be surrounded by mountains and seaside would be heaven yeah last question Mm. oh you'll love this one okay so I asked this to everybody oh if you had a magic seed mm. and you could grow anything that you wanted to grow what would that be oh well obviously gold <laughs> <laughs> i mean i should say silver but <laughs> it wouldn't be so lucrative <laughs> um do you know what if i had a magic seed oh gosh that's a really difficult question to answer i don't know why um I think contentment Mm. would be a good one. That would be a good one. Yeah, because I think if you're content with any situation, there's something really beautiful about that. I suppose I say that because I'm a pioneer and I'm always looking for the new thing, the next thing, and always kind of thinking about the future. Yeah. And actually, so for me, because of my nature, I wish that I was a bit more just content. Yeah. You know, just like just be content with what you've got because what you've got is great yes you but know? then when you're a creative like no. you it's hard to think like that because you're it always is. looking at what can you do yes. and how can you so it's just my nature yeah but maybe I should grow gold <laughs> <laughs> let's go for gold <laughs> silver tree gold tree yeah 
Um, that would be cool, wouldn't it? If I didn't have to pay for gold, but I could just keep growing it. That would be so cool. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> and I uh, think the business would do so much better. It, <laughs> if I didn't have to pay for the gold, imagine. Imagine where the charity could be if you could grow gold. Imagine. I often think that, you know, if I could just not have to rely on people's donations mm. to make a difference, how amazing that would be. And if I'd thought about it when I was younger, I probably would have made some different life choices because actually I thought I needed to have kind of fundraise mm. in order to be able to help the children. Whereas if I thought, oh, I could become a millionaire and I could apply myself and become a very, very, very good businesswoman or yeah. this or that, like I could have still helped the children, mm. but just out of my own pocket. Yeah. You know, I just didn't think of it like that at but, the time. But if your magic seed can grow gold, then, yeah. you know, we're sorted. We are. <laughs> because I could make things from it, sell it and help the children. Win, win, win. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me to your gorgeous little studio. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you. Thank you. Lovely to see you. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.